Um, but also I felt that there was an element of yellow fever. This is kind of like the film that you would put in Western cinema for, you know, people to get their jocks off, to Asian women getting their kit off with each other. Um, that, that's what it felt like in some parts. And there were, you know, it was kind of like, you can cut it now. Yep, you can cut the scene now. No, you're not cutting. Okay, you're... But I suppose I'm, I'm used to it being cut at a certain point and this film did not. This was in your face. Welcome to another episode of Deep Sweat. I am your host, uh, MKH, and welcome to the MKH Cut. Today, I'm joined by two lovely co-hosts. First of all, welcome, Jay. Hello, hello. Excellent. And right next to Jay, well, actually right next to me on my screen is uh, TJ. Hi, TJ. Konnichiwa. Uh, yes, excellent reference to what we are about to be reviewing today. As you all know, MKH Cut is all about looking at original film content on the streaming platforms, whether it's Amazon Prime or Netflix. And today we're delving back into Netflix after what happened on Amazon Prime in the previous episode. So I don't know if I'm going to go back to Amazon Prime for a very long time. And in case you're wondering, I was talking about Coming to America, the sequel to Coming to America. Anyway. Today, we are uh, going to be reviewing and spoiling some of it, um, a very uh, Japanese film. I don't know why I said very Japanese film. It is a Japanese film. I don't know what very Japanese means, but a Japanese film by the name of Ride or Die. And it is based on a manga of all things, which I never actually knew uh, until I had to actually watch this film. I thought you chose it because it was based from a manga. <laughs> no, I, I I chose it because I was trying to do more foreign speaking films as opposed to just doing American English speaking film. I'm trying to like expand the, the reach of the MKH cut to show I'm not just not some like ignorant Philistine um, that only watches. <laughs> His films in, in English or English uh, dubs. Uh, so, yeah, that's why I picked this film. Or with male cisgendered leads. Uh, yes, that's true. Um, very true. Yes. Uh, for, for himself, Mr. Chris Hemsworth was the first MKH. Yeah, yeah. That was very alpha male, the way you started the series. Yeah. And you know what? I try to show that I'm not one dimensional. So, yeah. We're speaking about Ride or Die. So Ride or Die, let me just give you this synopsis because the synopsis of this as written on Wikipedia is absolutely wild. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, uh, it is a Japanese psychological thriller drama written by Nami Sakawa and directed by um, Ryu Ichi Hayoki, I believe, starring Kiko Mizuhara and someone else. So... Hanami is... Sato. <laughs> yeah, Hanami Sato. <laughs> oh, dear. But let's just listen to the oh. synopsis before we delve into this. This film. is going to be a ladder of alliteration from Oh, you. my God. <laughs> so, you, uh, you didn't practice saying those names before? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm Brexit Britain. Don't worry about it. We're yeah. going to get through this. I'm so, so glad you're not a football commentator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Kiko. <laughs> is uh, stars as Ray, and Ray is a lesbian in her twenty. Who, upon learning that her former classmate is that Nene, 
it, it's, yeah, it's it? a nae nae, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. suffering brutal domestic violence from her husband. Decides to kill him to show her love for nae nae. is filled with disgust and fear about the murder. Obviously, you would, but Ray accepts the results of her decision and with the solo purpose of saving Nene. While turning to each other for love, Ray and Nene find themselves struggling with incompatible emotions uh, because obviously it's not mentioned in the synopsis that Nene is actually lesbian herself uh, because she obviously married a man. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, first thoughts on this film. Uh, very quickly, uh, Jay, quickly. First thoughts, oh, you know what? I <laughs> The first few minutes I was, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was... Um, is it because it was Japanese? Do you not like Japanese films? <laughs> no, it's, it, it's because I wasn't expecting what I saw because I, like, like you, I didn't know anything about it, right? So I'm, I'm essentially just watching it for this episode, right? So I didn't do any read up on it because I wanted to do it cold, you know, get a true feeling. And I, yeah, it literally was WTF. What? <laughs> what am I watching? Excellent. And uh, Trevor, first thoughts quickly, and then I've got some other questions about it. I was emotionally confused by the title and the red hair. Uh, it just made me think of Eve and her hip hop star and her collaborations with the Rough Riders. So, and even Locke's Dragon and Eve's Ride or Die Chick song. So that was in my head going through it. And the fact that you've got an American-Japanese lead mm. in um, the character, the, the actor who you called out as Kiko Mizuhara, who plays Rei Nagasawa, that was confusing me emotionally. And, but I was open to anything. Uh, quite interesting about Kiko. She, as you said, is uh, american who moved to Japan very early. But when you actually look at her ethnicity, she's actually ethnically Korean. Korean. Yeah, so her parents yeah. come She's half from, Korean, half American. Yeah, half American. I, half. I, I just want to say one thing about that is I was spent the first half an hour trying to picture her in a Japanese film because it felt like, it did feel to me like a Korean person is faking the funk as a Japanese character. That, that's all. Yeah, so her dad... It just says American, so I'm guessing he's like a white American. It's so yeah. odd that they just put American, like that's the default position. I'm just a white American. But yeah. anyway. American citizenship, Korean born maybe. Yeah, they, they confuse ethnicity with nationality. Yeah, nationality or a lot of time. So he's from Texas and like they, they divorced very young. But what I was going to say, like also, like I don't watch a lot of Japanese stuff, mm. uh, only here and there. But yeah, she did not look Japanese to me anyway. So I was thinking, why is this... Very Korean sort of girl starring in a Japanese film. But yeah, it makes sense when you actually look at the family history. So yeah. my my first question is, did you, would you, because obviously Netflix purchased it, could you have seen this in the cinema? Because I thought it was actually recorded quite beautifully. Like mm-hmm. I think like the shots and stuff like that. Obviously the content was an absolute mess, but I think in terms of the budget use, it was very cinematic to me. Was it? Was that the case for you, Trevor? Um, it felt like they quite obviously used handheld DSLR cameras at the beginning because there's an intricate one-shot scene where she comes out of a car and has to go downstairs into a nightclub and goes under a bridge and into some cavernous areas until she gets to the bar, which I thought was quite cool doing those kind of uh, one-take shots. And there was some, some very interesting 
continuous shots, which included the sex scene, the attack scenes, etc. But I felt it created cinematic moments. So there were some scenes where she walked out into the hotel corridor before she um, had her first sex scene. That's the Ray character. Um, there were some scenes when they were on the run. And there was a really beautiful scene where, for me anyway, where the character Nene is looking for the character Ray after she's done something really bad at the beginning of the film. And it starts as a wide shot and you see the car disappearing on the left-hand side of the frame and the character that she's looking for on the right side of the frame and the camera kind of gently pans left to right. And you then focus on the character and then the car coming back into view. So I thought that was, it seems simple, but I really like that scene. Jay, what are you thinking about the cinematic value of this film? Cinematic value, it's it's different. It definitely felt like a niche type of film, kind of like an artsy kind of independent film, obviously. But yeah. um, for me, if you're talking, you know, big screen kind of all the fancy pants stuff, not really. But but I but maybe like a more kind of um, intimate theater, maybe, but not. It's not a big blockbuster or anything, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's, I guess for me, I didn't want to compare it to the MCU and Warner Brothers, like, because they're on another world. Like, I think that is, that there's cinema, like standard cinema where you have like a, it may be a low budget comedy or psychological thriller and stuff like that. And then you have all the way up there, the MCU where they're plugging like hunt like multi like hundreds of millions into it so i wouldn't even put them in the same stratosphere but i could really like you said it was i felt like it was an art house film and i could really have seen myself going to a nice nighttime viewing of it by myself uh watching this very independent film uh by myself is yeah for very good <laughs> reason which we'll get into uh before we get into why i would go and see this by myself what did we think of like the women characters in this film? Like, do you think, cause this film was written and directed by a man. Yeah. And I don't want to cast aspersions against all Japanese men, but I think recently I've seen that the prime minister of Japan said, you, you women can come in the boardroom, but I need you to just shut up. I don't even want to hear your opinion, that yeah. type of stuff. So is there some type of inherent sexism towards women in Japanese culture? Like, being like sexual objects uh, or promiscuous uh, because like obviously Japan has this this uh, I guess culture of having like schoolgirl knickers in like vending machines and stuff like that which is like completely just what? weird yeah did you not know that yeah <laughs> well, it's, it's... well they're, they're known for being like sexually repressed though aren't they well it, mean, it's, that... it's hard to be sexually repressed when someone can see you publicly go and purchase yeah, knickers out of a vent, like I just, and obviously you got the hem tie porn industry. Like it's just mm. like so sexually yeah, Japan, overt. Yeah. yeah, so it's like yeah, like I think Japanese from my point of view, Japanese people are seen as really polite. Like, huh, yes, yes, very polite, very like yeah. measured and stuff like that. But all you know, all of that perversion is behind closed doors, isn't it? I think Japan mostly. I think it's an open secret. Um, like I can't imagine going to Bali and thinking, oh yeah, these people are heavily over-sexualized behind closed doors. I think it's particular about Japan. But I, I'm diverting from the point. What did you think of the female characters, how they're written and how they're portrayed in this? Mm. Oh, it's a hard one because I really didn't like Nene's character at all. It was like, oh, it was kind of like, talk about use and abuse, you know what I mean? I mean 
very manipulative as a character. Um, Oh, but I was surprised to find out she's a drummer in real life. She's a drummer too. <laughs> I love that you just you had <laughs> just nothing good to say about her in the film, but in real life, she could play the drums. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know what you want me to say. I mean, like, she, she, yeah, she she was a hard one to like. I really wanted to slap her myself. Um, and Ray and and Ray and, and, how and she Ray, portrayed. Ray, how she was betrayed. I mean, like, she was just like a lovesick puppy, puppy, wasn't she? She was just so easily manipulated. And she knew she was being manipulated, and she still went along with it. I mean, from the from some of the earlier scenes, like you find out she's um, a cosmetic surgeon or a plastic That's surgeon. That's what I'm saying. Like, but but yeah. she, she's very wealthy. She's very high up. They're worlds apart, you know, um, and Nene comes from a very poor family. So, you know, you, you've got this rich poor dynamic as well as lesbian hetero dynamic um, because obviously Nene, you know, de- declines her advances and, you know. Um, well, f- for most of it, she does decline her yeah. <laughs> advances until she's obviously been been uh, worn down to a knob. <laughs> to put it or politely. Yeah, to put it politely. I don't think there were any knobs so, in Brogdon. Yeah. Hey, how do you know? Actually, yeah, we saw, yeah. but yeah, that's how you know. <laughs> yeah. um, so, so I, I, I felt, I felt both characters. I, I didn't like either of them very much. Um, mm. One, one for being, you know, so mani- manipulated, and the other one for being such a big manipulator, if you know what I mean. So, but you know, those are characteristics I don't like in people in general. So. Yeah. How about you, Trevor? Yeah, Trevor, how, uh, what was your thinking of the, uh, the way the women what? were portrayed? I feel like I've got a caveat this because um, Ryuchi Hiroki is, um, he's like a Japanese film director who's actually started off in Japanese softcore pornographic film, which is a genre known as pink film. And, I wouldn't be um, surprised. And he I'm not was surprised. Not, well, yeah, there are some details there, but this is something where he managed to acclaim the title of the Prince of Youth Porn in 1984. And his first film was actually called Sexual Abuse, Exclamation Mark, Exposed Woman in 1982. He's obviously got other film titles that include uh, Female, Vibrator, and April Bride, and also um, The Sexual Abuse. Um, the, the film in 2003, which is obviously like 20 years after he did his first film called uh, Vibrator, um, the prem- I'll just say the synopsis quickly, is after meeting Hansen, Truck driver an urban, in an urban mini-mart, a 30-something freelance writer who's female, uh, embarks on a life-changing emotional journey of sexual discovery. So I get the feeling that the style of Ryuichi, Ryuichi Hiroki is like an amalgamation of sexualized or sexual discovery female characters. And he... He, he he's he's probably developed his craft over decades to come up with these two characters who I feel who I, I felt were amalgamations of some kind of experiment or kind of, some kind of story that um, he was trying to tell. And I got the impression that these two characters probably didn't feel real; they were hyper real, mm. and they were a response not to the story but to Japanese culture and the acceptance of perhaps the LGBT, specifically lesbian community in Japan, because there was a lot of references in the film to starting a family, which seemed to be like a traditional thing. 
and also where a woman's place was. So it felt like these were two extreme characters. And I I think in his world, these two characters work. But in terms of have we seen these characters portrayed in um, Western cinema? It's taken, it takes a bit of getting used to. So it was, it was a hard watch for me, but I accepted them. Um, and I suppose the reference points for me for this film would have been the Japanese film Audition, which is a kind of horror movie, and a little bit of Thelma and Louise. So it felt see, like a cross between those two. See, it was kind of like touted like a thriller, but I mean, the only thriller part was probably at the very beginning. You know, after that, it was just all about this kind of like this unrequited love affair type thing. Um, but also I felt that there was an element of yellow fever. This is kind of like the film that you would put in Western cinema for, you know, people to get their jocks off, to Asian women getting their kid off with each other. Um, that, that's what it felt like in some parts. And there were, you know, it was kind of like, you can cut it now. Yep, you can cut the scene now. No, you're not cutting. Okay, you're... I, but I suppose I'm, I'm used to it being cut at a certain point, and this film did not. This was in your face. It was... And, and it was quite raw um, in a lot of ways for me as well. So, I don't know. Yeah. Jay, I want, I want to ask you, because, like, as a man watching it, it could have been an erotic thriller, but there's a very graphically violent or eventually graphically violent opening sex scene. And for me, I'm not a big fan of glass or metal on flesh. Not a big fan of Saw. Can't really uh, watch that series without squirming. So because of the kind of the heroic nature, that became a kind of a terrorist murder um, scene. Do you think it's possible that you, the titillation idea was removed because of the opening, the way the first opening sex scene ended? No, I don't think so because really? they can't. I mean, even if it was, it, it probably perked you up later on, right? But that's if you're into blood no. and gore. There was a lot of, for me, there was a lot of blood and gore and violence. But in it. it was only once. Don't forget, I mean, it, it was the neck and then the slash across and then... Yeah, and that was once at the very beginning. And then, yeah. like, you had another two hours to kind of, like, get over it. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Let me sure. just come in there. I, I felt like um, I agree with Jay. Like, I think there was one scene and then you soon forget that even happened because this film is so long. And sure. then you think it's gone into a different film because... The, the second half of this film has nothing to do with the first half. I think it was just a a mechanism to get these two women together and the director just wanted to film that very long sex scene at the end. That was all it, it was gearing up to. I felt Ray, Ray couldn't meet some of that banging them. It was just really weird how sexualized Ray was. It didn't matter mm. if it was the husband or the girl or the taxi driver that she met in a it was just really weird that they just made her have sex with whoever she clapped eyes on. The the Ray character actually implies that she lost her virginity when she slept with the husband at the beginning. That's implying penetration by penis. Yeah. That that's that's what Yeah, that's yeah, that's doing. not virginity. That's like but, she, she's lost her virginity because she was in a, a lesbian relationship. Exactly. But the thing is, there was also yes. that two million yen loan 
um, that she did with another woman where she also implied that she was waiting for sex because she kind of, I think the caveat was uh, pay me back. That was them as the younger, wasn't it? Yeah, that was her and Nene. Yeah, her, younger. Um, yeah, that was okay. them. What, after school or something? Or yeah, something so like just after school when she's about to yeah. get married to her husband. Yeah. Ten years before all of this happened, yeah. sure. So there was a lot of flashbacks. So let me just say quickly about Nene. Nene, again, terrible character. Like, she was... A, like, it was really odd that they showed her being graphically beaten up by her, her husband. And then for the rest of this film, we had to see her with all her bruises... There was like this really weird scene where Ray's brother punches every last sense out of her. I was thinking, like, why did he punch her with a closed fist? Like nothing was happening. Like, why did you have to see that level of violence towards oh, Nene? Did, did he punch her or slap her? I thought he it was punched her with a closed fist. I, re- I rewind it. I was like, oh my goodness. Oh, why you? is, he, why oh. is he punching her with a clo- like how's this justification? Like it was just really weird, like to the point where she's she was probably concussed on the bed. Like I think the way the director saw Nene was just really everything was just really she, weird. She also, was a punching bag, wasn't she? Yeah, punching yeah. bag, and she's manipulating someone, and it also gives the suggestion that you can choose to be gay if someone preys on you long enough. Because I was under the impression she wasn't gay, but then you had that very long sex scene at the end again, questioning the LGBTQ community on. Whether it's a choice or whether you're born like that, I I do think that the last sex scene was more of a, a um I owe you now. Yeah, exactly. So like, but I so would I, I I don't think that makes her a lesbian. I think that no. just made her feel obligated. No, but what I'm yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. What I think what I'm saying is that this director's portraying it that it's easy for women to feel that they owe someone something. Um, but that isn't they that would life have se- though? But isn't that life? Because that, I mean, like, how many times do you do you hear that? Oh, this guy took me out to dinner, so I, you know. Yeah, no, no. But what I was saying is that 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 scene would never take place between two men. Like, I think mm-hmm. it is more of a a choice between um, women, whereas men would never make that decision. If a man is portrayed as straight, you're never going to sleep with his best friend, no matter what that best friend's done for them or something like that. So I think there was that element also. In the film, you um, haven't seen "Call Me by Your Name." <laughs> oh, what the song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, the film, um, Timothy Lem- Timothy Chalamet, and um, uh, what's the guy? He's good looking with a square jaw. Um, not handsome. He, he was in um, Army Hammer. It's a love Is story it? between okay, yeah, older uh, man, younger boy. Okay, I haven't seen that. I, I stand corrected, then, but I feel that this film also tested out like most men's blood pressure, because I can imagine every single, every scene, well, almost every scene, you're going to have blood rushing to one area in your body. And then something happens and say, okay, okay, now I can relax. And then it goes back. Like, I think there was peaks and troughs in titillation for men in this, in this film. Oh, definitely. I I felt like, I felt like there was a lot for the male gaze. Yeah. And it was just like, I, I, at some points, I was thinking, did I did I mistakenly go onto my secret website because this is like really like, am I still on Netflix right now? Because how is this like? How is this on Netflix? Has access like kids could actually accidentally find themselves on this film? Like it's just yeah. it's just the oddest thing that they were allowed to put that on Netflix. So 
Isn't yeah, there a parental lock on Netflix though? You can actually. There might be. Yeah. But do people do that? Parental guidance to I think limit the got, number of films. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you've got um, kids, you you naturally have it on, don't you? Well, I don't know. I don't know how how, how responsible parents are, but yeah. That, and I just but, remembered what I was going to say earlier as well. And, go, and go notice how how um not Nene. Ah. Uh, Ray? Ray, her character, her two, you know, interactions with men, they both kind of implied that she deserved money or should be charging or was a prostitute in some way. She was a professional woman. That's what I'm saying. It makes no sense. Yeah. Like exactly. she was professional doing like cosmetic surgery. And then these men, because by dent of just having sex with her, oh, I need to pay you. What is happening in Japan? Can someone tell me, please? But <laughs> it, it, but yeah, no, it comes down to the whole sexualization of Ray's character, isn't it? I saw two things, which was the subjugation of women. And it's a kind of, if you are a woman and you're, you're compelled, uh, your obligation to have, is have sex with your husband to uh, give birth to a child. And if you're not married and you're having sex with a man, you're basically a prostitute. Those were, that was the narrative that I saw. Mm. And there was this strange, clunky dialogue at the end of the film, um, or near the end of the film, in the last love scene, where, I can't remember it verbatim, but the Ray character who's committed the murder, and the uh, Nene character who is questioning whether she should kill them instead of getting handed into the cops. She says something like, I want you to remember me. I don't want you to remember me as a woman who um, killed someone so I could have sex with you. Yeah, I, I want you to remember me as a woman who wanted to have sex with you and was prepared to kill to do that, which it, ne- mm-hmm. it didn't quite explain the motivation that she should have had. And it was kind of like, it felt like it was saying something else. No, no, I, I got the other part of that. It was, it was a ca- case of I didn't kill to have sex with you. I, yeah. I got to have sex with someone I would kill for. That yeah, was yeah. The, that was the dialogue there. Do, do you see that there was a little bit of a strangeness about it? Like it felt clunky, that kind of dialogue. But I think that is probably because of the whole, um, uh, you know, uh, subtitle and translation thing. I, I think mm. maybe in Japanese it might have been a bit more fluent. Yeah. Um, so I think it was only clunky because of the translation. Okay. But the essence of, of what she was saying was pretty much, you know, I didn't do this just to get you in bed. It yeah. was because I loved you so much I would do anything for you. Yeah. And, and I was think that was what she was saying. Yeah. And it was interesting that that phraseology or that reference point was mirrored the last time you see uh, Ray's brother and sister-in-law after they get away with their last Mm. vehicle, where the pregnant sister-in-law is trying to get the brother to understand why she helped her with an escape vehicle by asking him... um, What would you do for love? Yeah, what would you do for love or who would you kill for? Yeah. And then he couldn't come up with an answer and then she immediately responded... I would kill for you and the kids. And he kind of submitted and then started crying and fell into her arms and stuff like that. So there was this, there was this sense of um, this disconnect with men not understanding how women 
connect to relationships and men just being this kind of, uh, what's the word, tunnel visioned or single focus. And it was expressed with the husband who had the affair and the taxi driver who was divorced and had to move to another town who it felt like he forced Ray into being a sexual conquest rather than she came willingly because there's some premeditated bits with the alcohol and knowing she was vulnerable as well. Um, yeah, I, I think also that sex scene with the taxi driver, I think he got off on having sex with someone he knew had killed someone in another city. He was just all the way messed up. Um, so I will have one final fault uh, and and then I will get your verdicts on whether you want people to see it or not. Um, I think Ray's motivation for the for the murder itself was just completely stupid. Like this is a girl who came from a well-off family, had no history of violence from what I could tell, and was in a loving relationship, and was a professional uh, cosmetic surgeon, whatever the case may be. And she just decided one day I'm just going to snap and murder someone because some girl I met in school I didn't get to have sex with. Like, I just think it's just a faulty premise. Like, If you just want to have a, a mainstream porn film, just, just have it that way. Because again, we don't see any more violence after the initial violence in the beginning. So mm-hmm. it kind of suggests that it, it just wasn't his natural calling as a director or writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I will admit that I do like the way it was shot. I like the, the, the one the one takes and stuff like that, obviously very well rehearsed and everything. Um, but yeah, the, the, the storyline was so dodgy and I can't believe it's based on a manga. Actually, I can believe it's based on a manga. It was very manga-like, uh, just complete break from uh, reality. Uh, with that being said, would you suggest this is a hit or a miss? Uh, Jay first. Uh, for me, it's a miss. Uh, Do you want to elaborate? I I, I require elaboration, please. (laughs) Oh, for reasons I've said before, it just felt like it was like um, fetish fanfare for people who just happen to really like manga and Japanese and Asian women with a bit of yellow fever. Excellent. And TJ, hit or miss? I don't know. Um, I'm going to say miss. I, I just feel that it t- it's a story that touches on some complex issues. Yes, um, the role of men in a capitalist society, uh, the relation, the role of women in the in the feudal unit, like two point four children stuff like that. Uh, the acceptance of the LGBT community in Japan. Um, the only problem is there's this kind of weird smorgasbord of. I don't think I think it needed to be another plot device than killing a husband. Like it might have just been easier if it was like two women who just ran off and had an affair sort of thing and not being chased by the police so they could unpick some of the complexities of just two women getting together yeah. under the social pressure of bearing children for and being and holding a family unit together whilst the men go out to work, as it were. So yeah. It's going to I mean, be a popular, contentious film, but I don't think it's going to be a legendary film that we're going to call up on. It's a bit later. pretentious, isn't it? And it's like they yeah. they could have done all of that, like you said, they could have run away and gotten together or whatever. Yeah. He could have, she could have 
could have gotten away from her abusive husband without killing him. Yeah. And I, I, just one more thing, just going back to uh, Wright. Sorry, I just want to get his name right again because uh, I don't want to make a cultural faux pas. Um, just going back to Ryuichi Hiroki style. I've not seen any of his previous films, but like I said, it does feel like he's ex- he's been at it since 1982 directing films. And it just feels like he's exploring some characters that he's probably had in other films and he's just put it into this mainstream film without an awareness of the wider consequences of what it means to the story. So it feels like he's just had these two characters in his head. He's just put them in the film together and, and it's not quite meshed or gelled for me. So that's why I say it's still a miss. Uh, excellent. I would say it's a miss. Um, Again, the plot device was very, very stupid. And I was thinking, like, she was so rich, she could have just hired someone to kill him. I don't know why she had to do it herself. It's just, it's just really weird. Exactly. There's um, just so many ways to avoid all yeah, of that. Yeah, so massive plot holes. But with that being said, those are three misses. So um, only only watch this film if you just want to be aroused like for, like, 10 minutes over the course of two hours but other than that give it a miss i'm sorry i'm sorry mr director i'm sorry uh kiki like i know this was probably your breakout film because you're known for being a model but it's a miss you need to do better i know you can um with that being said this uh is the end of the episode this has been the mkh cut um and we were very very woke today i'm very proud of you guys man like (laughs) The way we're defending the honor of women <laughs> and and the LGBTQ plus community, I'm very proud of you guys. You're finally seeing the world as I see it. Yeah. Um, I will take that uh, and pat myself on the back with that. Um, so yeah, um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, I like to say a, a very massive thank you to TJ. I think this is the episode that my grandchildren are going to have to explain themselves about on Twitter in about 50 years time but I appreciate you having me on this episode uh, join a pleasure in always as always thank you excellent and thank you Jay hey thanks for having me and um, thanks for listening everyone out there yes and this is a thank you from me MKH um, I hope to see you very very soon you take care now